0: The dance hall, reggae culture is like part of my heart. Grew up in Miami, going to dance halls, going to hip hop parties, you know, listening, going to DJ Khaled parties on a Friday night. He was our local, you know, that he's was the, the local spot. He's the down. local DJ,
1: that's was, crazy. Yeah,
0: Friday, <laughs> Friday nights at Madhouse. And, um, you know, that was like high school, college, But I kept that separate. And then I went to UM and I had my scholarship and then I was a National Science Foundation fellow and getting, you know, double master's degrees. And you just keep it separate. You know, I could be on the dance floor at three in the morning on a Saturday night or a Friday night and doing my school job, you know, Monday at eight, taking full-time classes, having a part-time hustle, working in the agency, and I think you just Keep all those things separate, because would they want, you know, the girl on the full scholarship to be up in the club? I don't know, you know, so you keep it separate.
1: Dijimelo mi gente, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy and host, Pavel Martinez, bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, the clip you just heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Kayla Santaya. Before getting into the full conversation with Kayla, let me give you a quick little bio so that you know her a little better. Kayla Santaya is a DEI and growth marketing expert with a 15 plus year track record of driving business results and social impact for world class brands. Committed to dismantling systemic racism, Kayla actually pivoted her career at the start of 2021 to focus on building DEI into the foundation of brands that she works with. Now that you know her a little bit more, let's get into this dope conversation because I don't want y'all to miss anything. As you know, on the Game Through It is podcast, we talk about the conflict that we often face between professionalism and authenticity. Before we get into professionalism though, let's start with the word authenticity such a buzzword we hear it everywhere what does it mean to you
0: okay okay so before diving i have to say thank you so much for inviting me to participate in the quinto podcast i've been following you for a hot minute on linkedin and i love how you show up and the work you're doing to address the stigmas and stereotypes that cause members of the latinx community to compromise who they are you know to to hold back um as cliche as it sounds being authentic to me means showing up as your whole multidimensional self and we were chatting earlier you know it, it's really easier said than done i think it takes like super amount of courage to really put yourself out there and keep it real especially in predominantly white workspaces, which I've been navigating for most of my career. Um, And it's, you know, I think it gets easier with time for me, but it's, it's, it's whack because it, it, it can be seen as like showing up authentically. For me, when I look at it, it's like a calculated risk. And being yourself can be perceived as like a, a brand reputational risk for your personal brand and maybe the organization you work for if you're in a senior level, if you have a highly visible role, if you're working for a really big brand. Um, and I'm not trying to be dramatic or hyperbolic. I mean, the stereotype stigmas, prejudice, all the isms, the institutional racism, these are real, Threats to our livelihood. It's not a drill, you know. Like we see all the stats and the injustices in employment, and housing, and schooling, and healthcare. They're all connected. It's super well documented, and they often play out regardless of your accomplishments or credentials. So I think, um, you know, I've I've learned to try and embrace my authentic self, but I know. I shift, you know, depending on the environment I'm in to, to just avoid any risks, you know, who wants to fall victim to stigmas or stereotypes, not me.
1: <laughs> nah, it's, it's real. I don't think it being dramatic at all. I think to your point, like there's so much research and and stats and experiences that have been shared to, to validate what you're talking about. I'm curious in, in that authenticity, you referenced, you know, bringing your whole self was that easy for you at a young age?
0: No. I mean, it's not something that, I feel like, you know, we're all like super multidimensional. I'm a mom, I'm a yogi, I'm a DEI practitioner, I'm a badass marketer, I'm a leader, I love music, I love culture, I love my people, but I feel like I've been very good at compartmentalizing different parts of my identity, depending on the environment that I'm in. So I think it's like you learn to be a chameleon, to adapt, to mitigate risk, to maximize opportunities, to connect with the people you need to connect with, to get where you need to go. And I'm not trying to sound opportunistic. It's just, I think a survival mechanism. So it's not something that has been particularly taxing. I think it's just kind of become a way of operating in corporate and higher ed. So, yeah, it's it's tricky and it's funny because like being in the DEI space, like I'm so vested in you know developing strategies and policies and systems that will create the environment where people feel comfortable to show up as they are, their full multidimensional self. But this work is hard, and um, I think, you know, outside of what's written on paper and these policies and practices, I think authenticity, we were talking about earlier, breeds authenticity. And I think it's a behavior that needs to be modeled. And when people can, you know, be vulnerable, they can keep it real and be professional and also be personable. And stay true to who they are i think that's creates a ripple effect and i we're starting to see that and at least i'm starting to feel it like even connecting with you and linkedin and starting to be more mindful about my community in the digital space i feel like more at ease more inspired to show up more fully and more wholly but it's definitely a journey. Yeah, something I'm working on. Straight up, <laughs> I'm
1: like, oh, we're all working on it. That that chameleon reference uh, resonates with me. Uh, and I I always thought for so long until I did a lot of self reflection. I was like, oh, that chameleon journey started in corporate America, right? When I started working. But then I thought about it. I was like, yo, I started that in like elementary school. For sure. Like my first instance, probably of hiding a little bit of myself to make people feel comfortable was. Was uh, when someone asked me what my name was, and you know, in that moment, I had to make a slight—you uh, know, a, not a slight, but a rapid decision—to be like, "Is it Pavel?" Because that's how my name is is pronounced. That's how my mom decided right. to to have it. But in that moment, I looked around me and I was like, "Oh no, I have to make people feel comfortable. My name is Pavel," and that's just when oh, I wow. went with moving forward, right? Yeah. Um. But that doesn't like, have the
0: same flag.
1: but in that moment that was like a very small decision but I think it was like almost making me feel comfortable in letting myself go a little bit like
0: yeah
1: what was it for you do you remember like at an early at an early stage just like what was it for you that like you started to maybe be a chameleon like you referenced I mean I think there's just
0: these little, they're like micro actions that you do. So similar, like my name is Kayla Santaya, double L in Spanish is like a Y. But in school, I Kayla Santala, you know, you pronounce it a certain way. Um, I think, you know, depending, you know, when you start going into different spaces, you might shift your your dress and the way you speak and it's just these things that you do to I've never really like to yeah to fit in um
1: it almost becomes like second nature like you don't even realize you're doing it at least that was for me no for me it's been
0: like breathing yeah um but yeah I, I I always just felt like like I'm so proud of my background so proud of my parents my culture, my mom's Jamaican, she's a black woman, she's a Rasta, she has dreadlocks, my dad's Cuban. Um, my husband's Cuban, we speak Spanish at home. We have you know, strong like spiritual background. But all of those cultural identities, they all come with stigmas that I feel like I don't open up about who I am to different people you know, if it's like, oh, you're from Jamaica and your mom has dreadlocks, you know, oh, you're you might be pinpointed as somebody who's like a burnout or somebody who smokes weed. Mm-hmm. If, you know, you listen to a certain type of music, it might, people might think, oh, you're risque or promiscuous or, mm-hmm. you know, a party girl. So I just, have always been a go-getter and hyper-focused on creating a really, you know, stable life for myself and excelling academically, professionally and so forth and fitting into this capitalistic grind. And it's quite frankly, just a survival practice to survive and and thrive. And um, there's a lot of talk around like thriving, and I'm happy about it. A lot of talk around authenticity, and these are been buzzwords, especially in the marketing world for so long. Yeah. And it's funny, cause you can be such a, like I, I consider myself very good at what I do and creating authentic con- connections with people through different channels, but with myself being completely authentic, um, my whole self, yeah is not something I've quite figured out yet. I can be my authentic professional self, <laughs> authentic and different, like discrete identities, but showing up completely as you are is a journey that I'm working on straight up,
1: nah. i I get it. I mean, i I host a podcast on authenticity, right? This conversation, and I'm still working on myself. Like there's still so yeah. many things that I'm insecure about. Um, and I'm wondering, what what it is for you like what sort of strikes that fear um or um that perception of of risk or, or or danger you know for me at least you know some of it was the stories that i told myself in my head um but also like there were some real situations where i did open up and i received some of those stereotypical well, I was placing some of those stereotypes, right, in those buckets, right, in sharing, uh, you know, I went out on the weekends, people were like, oh, my God, that's where you go, you know, so what, what was it for you? What What created that sort of, that that fear?
0: Well, I think it's like these unspoken cues, like,
1: yeah.
0: Um, the last job I was in before I took a leap and started my consulting practice, focused on building DI into the foundation of brands. I was in a, you know, working for a very iconic Americana institution, hundred plus years old, members in every zip code, um, at a very senior level, you know, being essentially the voice and direct line of contact to our communities. And I was very sensitive to what different people's triggers were on you know it's a very politicized climate we live in everybody's very you know every, there's a lot of divisiveness and i saw how people like pounce on individuals and brands for speaking their truth and sharing their point of view and i had to i professionally, my role was like mitigate those risks. I oversaw community management, social media, all of the advertising, all of customer care. So hearing all the complaints. Um, so I knew quickly kind of what type of responses you could elicit by being yourself and speaking your truth, not me as an individual, but seeing how, what the reaction was when other people did it.
1: Could you give me an example? Like what what was an instance
0: so many good opinions like i mean good examples um well in the workspace like beyond what happens like right on social media a colleague of mine he's excellent at what he does comms professional head of pr at the time he also was the head of a punk rock band he was signed to a label he Is openly gay. And, you know, right wing media got a wind of this. Some critics on social media got wind of this. It was code red in the office. Um, He was being dragged on social. It bubbled up. It was like he was getting smeared, you know, in Breitbart. Then it went all the way up to Fox News. And there was a show on Bill O'Reilly where we literally like, you know, had to like navigate this, you know, what was all of a sudden a brand reputational risk and sensitive issue, because one of a top performing employee who had been dedicated to his job and over delivering for years was outed as being gay and a punk rocker. So I was like, "Mm -mm, that's not going to be me. Um, So I was like, quick on the shut down the social, make everything private, be really careful about what you say. You can't say anything political. You can't say anything divisive. And simply saying I'm a feminist is divisive. Simply saying Black Lives Matter is divisive. Simply saying um, I believe in equity can be divisive. You know, and these are my core values, so it's very, I think it's really challenging, you know, depending on your role, the visibility of that role, the brand you work for, to show up authentically.
1: First of all, thank you for sharing that story, that experience. And, and I think it's real, because what I always say, too, is that I think it's easier. Um, well, maybe it's not easier, but I, it becomes really difficult to be your authentic self at work because... It, it's the back. It's how you get the bills paid. It's how you support your family, yourself. I mean, some of us support our own mothers and fathers, yeah. grandparents, etc. So, like you said, right? Like it's it's a risk, and 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 it's
0: it's your livelihood. It's not like oh, and it's not something you just choose to do lightly. Mm-hmm. And I think the environment you're in has to really embrace and welcome authenticity, and it has to be modeled at all levels of the organization, at the top, at the middle, at the entry level, to invite people to show up as who they are and to really create that sense of belonging. It takes a lot more than a pledge, a corporate policy, an update to an employee handbook. While all those things are very important, don't get me wrong, But there's the, you know, that that real life experience that people need to see and feel. And I I just haven't operated in spaces where I I feel safe to do so. And it's not like I live some double life and (laughs) (laughs) um, have much to hide. But yeah, you know, there's stigmas associated with different backgrounds. And, you know, you don't want to be painted as a diversity hire. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I've always like, had to hustle twice as hard, over deliver constantly to shake that imposter syndrome, to feel like you, you know, you belong. And, and I, I think working in like marketing in the digital space, I've gotten a lot more ease relying on the numbers. Cause I have stats. I have like the receipts of like, this is how many millions I brought in. This yeah. is how many, members this is you know how we optimize our ad buys this is how productive videos increased um but it's still hard even yeah for me
1: i i get it i'd love to know like what are what are some things that you think you've hit previously um from your identity and again it's not like you're living it's not like you're you're uh, <laughs> you're one person it's not like you're caleb by day and and, and batman by night you know right. what i mean <laughs> but what do you think but i do have
0: superpowers that? but not just
1: exactly
0: in- <laughs> <laughs> um i mean like grow. you know my dad he worked in the music business mm-hmm. he was a concert promoter um he you know i grew up going to shows i grew up backstage the dance hall reggae culture is like part of my heart grew up in Miami going to dance halls going to hip-hop parties you know listening going to DJ Khaled parties on a Friday night he was our local you know that he's was the, the local spot he's the local down. DJ
1: that's was, crazy yeah
0: Friday <laughs> Friday nights at Madhouse and um you know that was like high school college but I kept that separate. And then I went to UM and I had my scholarship. And then I was a National Science Fellow Foundation fellow and getting, you know, double master's degrees. And you just keep it separate. You know, I could be on the dance floor at three in the morning on a Saturday night or a Friday night and doing my school job, you know, Monday at eight, taking full-time classes, having a part-time hustle, working in the agency. And I think you just keep all those things separate because would they want you know the girl on the full scholarship to be up in the club I don't know you know so you keep it separate yeah so I, I think for me it's like you can be part of your real self in certain environments but showing up like as your whole multi-dimensional self that's another level
1: yeah I, I get that I, I'm wondering too in those situations, right, because I'm sure people ask you, oh, what did you do this weekend, or oh my god, what do, what do you what do you typically do for fun, I don't know, right, <laughs> Would no, you, you're would you, right. Make, would you make up a story, like, what, what would you do in that instance?
0: I think you just, it's like selective information, you know, <laughs> oh, I had a great walk through Central Park, and, you know, maybe you all met a certain part of the story, or had a great night out with friends, connecting with, you know, some Some old, you know, coworker. You know, it's just like how you package it. I guess being in the marketing communications, like I can frame and package something in a way that's palpable for the person on the receiving end. And I consider myself like highly adaptable, people person, so I can find common ground and connect with whoever. And I guess that's me making that effort. But I think there's less effort on sometimes the other. Have to find a way to genuinely connect, per se.
1: One hundred percent. I always say, like, I wish, I wish they faked enthusiasm as much as we did. Right. Because, <laughs> like, like, good morning, Jim. <laughs> how are you? You know. Well, whenever I say you know something that I'm interested in, it's usually it usually ends the conversation. Versus, I genuinely. I mean, sometimes I am curious, but sometimes I do fake it um i don't know like oh my god i just went to i don't know on whatever trip and i was like oh my god tell me more about it give me mm-hmm. recommendations mm-hmm. and tips like whenever we say things typically it's like the end of the conversation and there's not necessarily um an interest in 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 some of our interests and passions as well so yeah i get that yeah i'm I'm wondering too because now you're in this in this um well it's not like you haven't been doing de and i um work in the past and Um, But now you are a bit more dedicated from, from a time standpoint.
0: Academically, I have a background in race and ethnic relations, as well as medical sociology. So really looking at systemic patterns and, you know, what is it about society and somebody's life chances, you know, opportunities to thrive in this world. You know, we're all coming from a different background and a different place that impacts our opportunities and the privileges that we have and i always you know like have been committed to that work and i loved that space in academia but i'm i'm like let's get it i'm an action person let's change it i couldn't be just in the research um world or academic world. So I also have a background in media relations and media management. I was like, our country like runs on media and advertising. It's the driver of culture. It's the driver of perceptions. It's the driver of attitudes. And if I want to change the world, it just seemed like an avenue to help advance my personal mission, which is to make the world a more equitable place. So I knew, you know, right away that, like I I, I worked in the agency world, I did that grind. And I knew after I got my master's that I was gonna find a way to leverage the power of media, the power of community, digital to, to drive that forward. And spent 10 years, you know, working for some of the top nonprofits in the country, leveraging DEI to, you know, meet our organizational objectives, to build community, to increase revenue, to increase membership, to drive advocacy and policy issues forward. And you can't do that without connecting and without that cultural awareness and without being in tune to people's needs their desires their wants that's like 101 of good marketing and advertising is you have to deliver on somebody else's needs and their gaps and what they're looking for um and build trust you know that basic brand trust and all of those things so I've always used DEI and i as a vehicle to kind of advance the missions of the organizations I've served, which I've always been a mission-driven person. And I think like many people in 2020, I I was doing a lot of reflecting and soul searching and I just wanted to do more, quite frankly. I was fed up, I was like um, working for a powerful organization and mission, but it wasn't enough. I was like, I wanna do more. You have this skills, you have this talent, Mm -hmm. get it. And that's what I did. I I quit my job and I said, I am going to focus squarely. It's not going to be like a hidden agenda of how do you build DEI into the foundation of a brand? I'm going to work with brands who are committed to living up to all those commitments they put out and all those pledges to put in the work, to do some serious reflecting, to analyze their systems, analyze their policies, to take audit and stock of what's working and what's not to really show up and be the change that they needed to be to steward in a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace, not just for their staff and talent, but for the constituents that they serve. If That's customers, that's donors volunteers whatever it may be just take that those words on paper and bring it to life
1: yeah i i love that um and it sounds like fascinating work uh and it's almost like on two sides right like on one side it's like what is the brand communicating what is the brand illustrating visibly right more of those actions but also i think you're having so many interesting conversations um with the executives, right? That you know, look like you and I, and even they are struggling with with authenticity. Like before, we get into some of that brand work. Like, what are you seeing on an individual level and in some of those some of those challenges that we're discussing now?
0: It's funny. I w- I'm working with an organization right now, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Credible, storied organization, 70 plus years old. They're leading the fight against um, blood cancer. You know, massive revenue, 500 million annual year, nearly a thousand people on staff, a lot of really good people committed to curing cancer and advancing the mission, and working closely with their head of DEI, brilliant Black woman, credentials for days. And she just started wearing her hair natural in the pandemic. So it's wow. like, you can be chief diversity, equity, inclusion officer. Like I said, it's a journey for us all. She's just now feeling comfortable showing up to herself. So I think it's interesting, like this is a journey for so many of us. Um, and I think like a lot of the social happenings in the past year, the heightened focus on race relations and injustices and the social reckoning with race systemic racism has, kind of made people confront um confront themselves and the environments that they're operating in and, and think a little bit more critically of how they're contributing to it or not taking actions to stop the fuckery <laughs> um, but i'm I'm hopeful because I see a willingness and a commitment that I didn't feel before. I feel like even you know, like saying institutional racism or sexism was taboo in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledging it was taboo, and I think people are feeling more comfortable speaking on these issues, acknowledging them, saying that they're real. And when I say people, I'm talking about white people, like <laughs> yeah, white yeah, yeah. people, people of color. Like it's just a reality. It's not like this philosophical idea. But I don't know.
1: Oh, a few on a, a f-
0: on a tangent. I was like, what was the question again?
1: <laughs> no, no, you answered it. You answered it. Well, okay. I, I agree though. I remember when I first, not even first, but like I don't know, two, three years ago. Um if an unarmed black man was murdered in the street by police, no one would talk about it. Like leadership would just not even talk about it. The only people that would talk about it is are these uh like internal Slack channels, if you will, or these internal um group chats where myself and people that look like me would have and we were like yo how's everyone doing like we would check in on each other right and it wasn't until maybe when george floyd happened when leadership like white people in leadership positions actually started talking about it and holding space for people to um just share their emotions share their feeling and you know on a on a larger scale even like maybe even give people like a mental health day, right? Um, but but even the even the dimension mention of some of these situations, you know, murders, et cetera, like were never even referenced. No. Right. And I think I think it goes back to, you know, potentially, I don't know, they were fearful to have that conversation as well. Just yeah.
0: I don't even think quite frankly, I don't think it was really top of mind of of like even relevant. I don't even think it was like an issue that was relevant to their lives and Mm. people aren't always great at thinking what are the other issues that you know people who are different than me might be faced with or thinking about and I think in the past year it was whether leadership wanted to or not I think there was pressure societal pressure to acknowledge these things and they did it even if it was against their gut feeling or what they felt comfortable doing, I think it was more of like a mandate.
1: Like mm -hmm. if we
0: don't do this, we're going to be tone deaf. If we don't do this, Mm -hmm. we can piss off our base. We can ostracize, you know, our markets, compromise our market shares, whatever it is. Like, I think it became the in thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like it became a new social norm, which is good. I just don't, think it was natural and like a, this natural evolution from many white people in leadership i think it's like a forest hand
1: i agree no, and i don't I think mean, it's
0: just about white people in leadership like no. latinos too because there's so oh, much yeah. colorism and racism within the latino community like i've seen that firsthand as well
1: i completely agree actually something else that happened in the midst of george floyd and a few other um murders is that i saw like certain policies change right so uh well not like uh, at a government level but at a at a at a, at a company level like i saw yeah. managers starting to get graded on how inclusive their team felt or oh, or wow. was right so
0: which is was, great
1: yeah but it was impacting their bag you know what I mean, and yeah. that's that's why they really started caring so yeah i i agree it's like a larger macro level issue of like everyone wanting to hear what brands thought, but at the same time, it was like, yo, now it's, now it's going to impact my performance review, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm curious too. Right. Cause we, we spoken about a little bit about you. We spoken a little bit about the, the work that you're doing and, and just like where we are in the world, but like where are you right now when it comes to authenticity, do you still see it as a risk? Like what's your level of comfort with it?
0: So I feel like I'm in a good place. Leaving my last job was like a huge weight off my shoulders, even though it was hands down one of the best professional opportunities. I grew, I learned, I excelled, I met amazing people. I'm not discounting any of that, but not feeling like you're owned by a brand Mm. and that what you do because of your level of seniority could potentially impact the brand or your job security. It's like a huge weight off my shoulders. And being unapologetically committed to DEI and working with people who value my expertise and my input is super liberating. Working with other people who honor, honor me and see my value, and it goes both ways, just feels good at your core. So I'm in a good place because that's where I'm at. And it's it's a blessing because it's just easier to be rather than easier to be what you think somebody wants you to be. Yeah. In social media, I'm not very active. Mm -hmm. So I'm still on this journey thinking about how do I want to show up and Mm -hmm. what parts of myself am I willing to put out there? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I'm sitting with that discomfort and working through that too, but in a good place overall really good place
1: yeah and also you know not everyone deserves to see all of you (laughs) you know you don't have to do all of that uh
0: exactly
1: but no i i love i'm i'm getting goosebumps just hearing you say that you're in a better place because that makes me happy and i don't know if you realize but like by you being yourself we spoke a little bit about this right but it's a ripple effect right um, one of my previous guests, uh, Catalina Pena said this and it always stuck with me. It's, uh, it, it's describing the ripple effect, but she said, you know, once you become, or start to embrace your authentic self, you become a mirror for other people. Yeah. Um, and they see themselves, it may not be everything, but they see a part of you in themselves.
0: For and,
1: sure. um, yeah. So, so just know that you are inspiring people as well, but, Closing with this last question, you're not done, I'm not done, we're not done. Everyone's continuing to grow. What's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to continue growing in authenticity?
0: I mean, straight up building on what you just said, I love seeing others keep it real, persist, succeed. I love reading and hearing stories that feel vulnerable and beautiful at the same time. I think it's inspiring to see people, especially people of color, who are part of loving, supportive communities who live and speak their truth, and they also thrive personally and professionally. To me, that's empowering. Um, That's what I'm manifesting. That's what I'm trying to create for other people as well, not just for myself, but be part of that community, not be just a spectator. Being real, and supporting others who are doing the same that's that's inspiring and empowering for me and especially if i can help somebody along the way either by being a mentor or a sponsor that's that's really motivating and a personal high for me i love seeing other people succeed and soar and if they can do it while being themselves even better
1: Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the kinthuetas podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.